Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Another off weekend, no problem for us, because we are back and better than ever with another episode of the pod. And we got a great guest on to talk about his career, Josh Balicki, Wisconsin's finest. Talking about the backside of the grid this week, his career up until this point in NASCAR that actually did not begin with NASCAR aspirations in mind. I enjoyed my Olympic break, but I'm ready to get back at it at Watkins Glen in person. Excited for that. Before we get into any of it, we're paying homage to the number 19. Dad, take it away. Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to episode 119. Davey's probably still annoyed with me for not talking about Rowdy Bush last week, and he's probably expecting me to make up for it by discussing Martin Truex Jr. this week. In fact, he's probably sure of it, since MTJ is Robin's and Mama Siegel's favorite driver. Kachega! Robin's apparently on a first-name basis with Truex, and refers to him as Marty, which I don't think he particularly likes. So... Truex time on the pod this week? No. Good chigga. This is the way back segment, and Martin's still on the top of his game, so maybe another time. Instead, we turn our attention to another NASCAR what might have been story and Jeremy Mayfield. Mayfield won five races over a 433 Cup Series career spanning 17 years. 165 of those races and two of the wins came in the 19 car. In 2002, he signed to drive the 19 car for Ray Evernham's team. In 2014, he won a race to qualify his team for the inaugural chase for the cup. He won and qualified for the chase in 2005. Then in 2006, things started falling apart. Mayfield started criticizing his team's performance in 2006 and blamed Evernham's lack of attention and absence from the track. It got personal when he suggested Evernham's absences were due to his having an affair with a young development driver, Aaron Crocker. Mayfield complained that Evernham was spending more time helping Crocker and her truck team than he was devoting to his own cup team. Evernham didn't like being called out, and NASCAR didn't appreciate the negative soap opera publicity. That led to Mayfield's release from the 19 team in August 2006 before the Watkins Glen race, where Davey, coincidentally, will be this weekend. At the time, there were lots of denials regarding Mayfield's criticisms. However, it turns out Evernham later admitted to the affair and even married Crocker in 2009. Then things really got bad. In May 2009, Mayfield was suspended from NASCAR for violating the sports substance abuse policy. Though not publicly disclosed at the time, 
The drug in question was methamphetamine. Mayfield claimed the positive test was the result of his taking a combination of over-the-counter antihistamines and Adderall, which he said he had been prescribed for attention deficit disorder. The NASCAR doctor in charge of the program said the results were clear and incontrovertible. Mayfield claimed that Brian France and NASCAR's doctor were out to get him. There may have been some truth to that, as other doctors were willing to testify that if the levels of meth NASCAR claimed was in Mayfield's system were true, he would have been dead or comatose. A federal judge eventually sided with Mayfield and vacated the suspension. But two weeks later, NASCAR said Mayfield had failed another test. I've never been quite sure who or what to believe. It seems clear in hindsight that Mayfield had an ongoing substance abuse problem. He was popped in 2011 and 2014 as well for meth-related offenses, and he's had a number of other legal and life issues he's had to deal with. However, you know that expression about not poking the bear? That's true in NASCAR, and was especially so in prior years when the France family ruled over the sport with an iron fist. I'm not sure whether all of Mayfield's issues and trouble were of his own making, or whether his poking of Everingham and Brian France contributed in any way to his problems. What I do know for sure is we'll never know what Jeremy Mayfield's career could have been if he was able to reach his full potential. That's all for this week. Back to you, Duve. Thank you, Dad. Appreciate that ode to the number one nine. I'm actually recording this before I listen to it, so peek behind the curtain. I hope he didn't go rogue again. And if he did, then I don't appreciate it, but I think he did well. So nice job out of you, Dad. Let's start this episode off, as we always do, with a good old-fashioned... I'm currently recording this in the closet again because Robin's leading a meeting and she's probably laughing at me right now. Again, we got no race to recap because it's been the Olympic break. So let's switch things up for a change. I got an exciting offer to talk to you guys about. And if you got kids in the car, you might want to just pause it or maybe turn it down, put some headphones in their ears because we're getting a little uh, NSFW, some not safe for work. I actually used to think that was called not so friendly worded, which is also applicable, but it's not safe for work. Sponsored read this week from Adam and Eve. Yes, that's right. Go to adamandeve.com and you can check out what I'm talking about because free stuff is awesome, but free stuff to spice up your bedroom. That's even better. If you go to adamandeve.com, you can select almost any one item for 50% off and they'll give you some free stuff to boot as well. All you got to do is enter the offer code Davey, and this is actually funny because it's not spelled the correct way, D-A-V-Y, no E, just D-A-V-Y, enter that code at checkout, and you will get 10 tantalizing free gifts. Not one, not two, not three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 free gifts from Adam and Eve. Such great people they are. You can get a sexy item for him, a special gift for her, a third item you'll both enjoy. And you can get six free, spicy, Jose Castillo, hope your kids aren't listening, spicy movies, plus free shipping. How about that? So let's go over this. Free stuff, up to 50% off, movies, free gifts, and free shipping. That is so, so many things that you can get 
discounted or for free at adamandeve.com. And all you got to do is enter the promo code Davy at checkout. D-A-V-Y. Misspelled. It's funny. We'll make a meme out of it. Adamandeve.com. Spice things up in your life. Let's throw it over to our interview time with Wisconsin's own Josh Balicki, Rick Ware Racing Wheelman. Say that five times fast. It's not too easy. Talked about his career up to date. He did not have NASCAR aspirations, but he is firmly entrenched in the NASCAR garage with Rick Ware Racing at this point. Talked about his plan that got him to this point. Even though he's a stock car driver and he grew up right next to Slinger, he has never raced competitively, really, at Slinger, and we talked all about that. He has a very, very unique path to getting to where he is that spans a lot of different jobs, a lot of different cars, various factions of motorsports, and he's just a really interesting guy to talk to. So without further ado, here is my chat with the Cup Series' own Josh Balicki. Pleasure to be joined this week by Wisconsin's own Josh Balicki, Rick Ware Racing Wheelman. When I wrote that down, Josh, I was like, all right, don't stumble over this. It's a big tongue twister, but I did it. Rick Ware Racing Wheelman. It's tough to say. That's a mouthful for sure. Uh, I don't know if I could say it. Rick Ware Racing Wheelman. All right, I did it. it. There you go. Well done, my friend. It's not easy, I tell you. Well, I'm glad that you're on with me here today. On the show, I try to kind of spotlight some drivers that are deeper in the field and other series in racing in general. And you're one that I really wanted to chat with because we've seen your name for a couple of years now. Rick Ware Racing Equipment, they get a bad rap for multiple reasons. Um, So I want to get to know you, learn you and your story. So let's start all the way back at the beginning. I mentioned it, your Wisconsin zone. Road America is your home track, one of. It was a great result for you there, and we'll get to that. But you grew up around Slinger, right? I don't I don't know how to pronounce the official name of your hometown, but it was around Slinger. Is that right? Yeah, so I was born in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. Not Menominee to be Falls. confused with Menominee, because there's also Menominee, but that's about four or five hours north. So I am uh, Menominee Falls. That's where I was born. And I, uh, I live in Slinger, Wisconsin right now. So fun fact, I think I'm one of the very few cup drivers that don't live in the Charlotte area, North Carolina. Yeah. And... Part of that is because of sponsorship reasons. Um, I think it's important for me to maintain my relationships with those businesses here, stay here. Um, Illinois is another uh, state where it's obviously very local to me, but I have some partners from Illinois as well. So it's important for me to be home, be close to those guys, uh, but also just be close to family too. I really like staying here and there haven't really been many constraints yet. So, um, you know, maybe going on the further, further in the road, further in the future, uh, one day we'll move. But for now, I'm pretty comfortable where I'm at. So you're in Slinger, but if I have this right, you know, now you're in the Cup Series, you've raced in NASCAR for a handful of years, but you have maybe raced once or twice total on short tracks and late models or something like that? Yeah. So obviously, Slinger Speedway is uh, is local. I mean, it's it's not even five miles away from me. I can hear it from my apartment window. Honestly, I can. Anytime That's they're practicing, sweet. anytime they're racing Sunday nights. Um, but I've never raced a Slinger. I've only have... Man probably 10 laps there in a limited late model really want to race there. Just never had the opportunity. Um, and even now there's been a couple opportunities that just either don't come together for financial reasons or just not a good fit. You know, obviously yeah. you kind of hit, hit it before driving for Rick, we're racing, you know, we do a lot with a little, but we're underfunded. We're, we're racing at the back of the pack, you know, and I don't want to go to Slinger Speedway and race a car that's not competitive. If I'm going to go do that, I want to race. 
you know, race to win. I want to show that. So um, I've only have uh, three or four other races under my belt, short track races. Uh, my first real oval ever was in the NASCAR Community Series. So pretty interesting. I, I know a lot of people uh, kind of question where I came from and my, ba- my background road racing. Yeah, so let's get right there because you were pursuing sports cars. That was your background. Mm-hmm. Did a lot of stuff in Miatas and sports cars in general. Got to know Austin Sindrick, and we'll get to that as well. But it's crazy to think that you are a Cup Series driver right now. You've competed in every race this season, and you've only raced in, be it a late model, limited late, whatever, on local short tracks like once or twice, and now you're in the Cup Series. I mean, that's a pretty unique background, I'd say. Yeah, it really is. There's not many other drivers uh, I can think of that have that uh, as their background. You know, maybe Michael McDowell. I don't think he's ever ran a late model. Um, I know his background is some road racing stuff, just like mine. And yeah. he, uh, he kind of ventured into NASCAR and very similar route to what I did, you know, for, for a bunch of years running very small for, for small teams, uh, you know, missed a lot of races. And obviously he won Daytona 500 this year. So uh, hopefully following his footsteps. <laughs> yeah. Definitely, for sure. So you eventually made your way pretty high up in the sports car ranks. And I mentioned, but you were kind of focused on the spec Miata side of things. Is that right? Yeah. So I raced carts uh, from ages four to 15, 16. Yeah. Uh, started racing Miatas, spec Miatas. So not to be confused with MX-5 Cup. The MX-5 Cup series is the brand new MX-5 Mazdas you buy from the factory. They're current. It's a car that you see driving on the street right now. Mazda builds those cars and turns them into race cars. You can buy a straight from Mazda. So I unfortunately never ran that. Honestly, I just couldn't find the budget to go race that. So I ran Mazda Miatas, uh, spec Miata, basically what it was called uh, in the SCCA, the Sports Car Club of America. Yep. And we had a 1994 Mazda Miata to start with, then progressed to 1999 Mazda Miata. And the rules of that class, I think you can't have newer than a 2005 Miata. So anything hmm. newer than that, you can't race in that class. So it's basically all older the older body styles, uh, but it's really, really aggressive racing, really close racing. I mean, there were weekends where we had 70 or 80 cars. So I learned so wow. much from racing Miatas. Um, and no matter where you are, if you're in the front, if you're in the middle, in the back, there's always going to be hard racing going on. So I just, um, I learned all I could from those years. I mean, a Mazda Miata, a lot of people think, oh, those are just girly cars, but reality, they're, they're very low horsepower. So they're momentum based. You need to learn how to drive using as little brake as possible because you want to keep your momentum up and your rolling speed to the corner, which actually yeah. translates a lot into kind of what I'm doing now. So, uh, yeah, I ran Mazda Miatas for, for a couple of years, a bunch of years. I uh, picked up some sponsorship from Trimtech Travel Products who helped me make my first start in pro racing in IMSA at Road America in my background, um, in my home state. And uh, from there, I just always struggled to put together the budget to go pro racing in sports car racing, you know, obviously that was kind of my goal, uh, but I could never really make money at it. I never made a living at it. Even when I ran a handful of, uh, of pro races on the sports car side, I didn't get paid. I was still spending my own dime for whether it was my licensing fees or my race suits, whatever it was, I was losing money. And how I made a living was actually coaching. I'd coach a lot of guys, uh, mostly wealthy gentlemen who would have a Porsche or Ferrari Lamborghini. doesn't matter what kind of car, and they would just basically tra- take their cars to open track days, basically open practice events at tracks like Road America, Blackhawk Farms, uh, Gingerman, Audubon Country Club. Yeah. And for a while, I just basically showed them how to drive. Um, for one, if they were a novice, I would teach them kind of the, the ins and outs of the sport, uh, keep them safe on the track. And then it also got a little more to where I started coaching more experienced drivers. And that's all kind of data. I mean, you see, obviously, now there's a lot of data in the Cup Series going over different lines, different breakpoints, different throttle applications, 
Um, so for a while, that's how I made my living coaching. Um, didn't race as much as I wanted to. And then I had the opportunity to come to NASCAR in 2016. And that just kind of opened up a whole new avenue for me. Yeah. Wow. That's an incredible story. So let, let's kind of pick that piece by piece. So back to the Miata side of things, I find it interesting what you mentioned about how them being more momentum based, which is topical now because of the 550 package specifically. Yeah. That's what everybody says, right? It's momentum based. Same thing with the truck series as well. So in a way you could kind of compare, it's crazy that I'm saying this. Could you compare spec Miata racing to cup series racing in a way, given the the way that those cars specifically drive and you have to make sure that you're setting up the corner, getting a good runoff because of the momentum associated with both of them. Honestly. Yeah. Because with the, uh, the, the horsepower package and the downforce package we're using in the cup series, mm-hmm. if you bobble through a corner at a mile and a half track or two mile track, you know, if, if you have to lift off the throttle, that's going to hurt you down the straightaway and kill your lap time by whether it's a half second or a second. And that was identical in the Miata. You know, you never had the horsepower in the Miata to dig yourself back out of a hole if you made a mistake. Um, whereas, like, on a road course or a short track, you have all the horsepower in the world. And oftentimes, I mean, even in, in like, a late model, super late model, there's a lot of tracks you're not even full throttle down the straightaway, just at mm-hmm. some of these short tracks. So, you know, you have too much power on that end. Uh, but in the Cup Series, at the mile-and-a-half tracks and over, obviously, we have not enough horsepower. And that's uh, that's where it really translates into what I learned in the Miata is just – you can't make mistakes. You know, you need to focus on corner exit, uh, corner entry through the exit, keep your momentum up and just focus on getting a good run down the straightaway. Interesting. Okay. So let's go before that. Even now with your go-karts, you mentioned you did that from when you were four to when you were 15. Now I know some people do go-karts and have NASCAR aspirations. Some people do it and they have formula one or IndyCar open wheel aspirations. You went the sports car route eventually. So when you're go-karting and I mean, when you're four, you probably were just having a good time. But when you got up to a certain age where you realized, okay, I'm pretty good at this. I'm enjoying this. I might want to make a career out of this. Did you have your eye on a specific discipline or were you just going to kind of take whatever came to you? Yeah. So growing up, I loved Formula One. And when you're four or five, six years old, you don't know the logistics behind the sport. You don't know what it actually takes. And right. that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a Formula One driver growing up. And as I got a little bit older, I kind of realized, you know, that's a pretty far, far away uh, goal of mine. So maybe, maybe I should just stick to the country, you know, maybe, maybe indie car racing. And even, even up until I was, even when I started racing Miatas, um, the Miata was just kind of the most affordable thing we could race at the time on the sports car side, but we still wanted to go indie car racing. My dad and I kind of had a plan set. We were going to meet with some USF 2000 teams, which at the time that was the, um, it's the pro Mazda, not pro Mazda, but it's, a, it's, I think it still is USF 2000 series right now, but we, uh, we met with some of those teams, and when we found out the budget required to go that form of racing, we're like, you know, maybe maybe we just better stick to Mazda Miatas. And, <laughs> you know, at the time, I really wanted to be an IndyCar. I mean, you know, when I was 12 to 15, 16, I kind of knew that maybe uh, maybe I can't make it a career. You know, I'm winning races. You know, obviously, I know it's tough. Let's just enjoy myself and see where we end up. So um, at the time, you know, IndyCar racing, and then it just kind of turned into, well, what can I make a living doing? And at the I mean, for five or six years, it just kind of seemed all directions headed uh, sports car racing. And then um, obviously in 2016, that whole direction went NASCAR. Thanks to Facebook, right? That's how you ended up getting your first NASCAR start? It was Facebook. It was a Facebook message with uh, with Victor Abica. I messaged our Facebook team. Um, I, I was running a couple of Trans Am series races in 2016 um, for a, a very low budget. I mean, ran out of a barn uh, Trans Am TA2 team. 
And unfortunately, the car just wasn't ready for Road America, which I was really bummed about because that's my home track. And I looked at the entry list for the uh, the NASCAR race. Had Victor Abica's team, two two of their cars were to be announced, and it was like Wednesday of the race. So I'm like, well, maybe you know this is a long shot, but it doesn't hurt. You know, I've I've been there and I've I've been in that position where you do it and maybe it comes out great, and that's yeah. exactly what happened. So sent him a message on Facebook saying I'm I'm a local road racer. I just ran IMSA last year. You know, I can get my NASCAR license if you need it. I can probably come up with some sponsorship money because I had local sponsors kind of wanted to help me at Road America. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that kind of just kick off, uh, snowballed my whole career. Wow. You, pre- you got to save that Facebook message. Like, it probably deletes after a while, but now it's, what, five years later? You better still have that. I'm going to I'm gonna make a note right now. I'm in my office that after this, I'm going <laughs> to go back and uh, find a Biker Racing's Facebook, and hopefully it's still there. That'd be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. So, okay, I have to ask the the obvious question whenever you mention the words Obica Racing. Uh, I had Sam Hunt on a while ago on the show, and he obviously spent some time doing things with Obica and now has some of their equipment. Uh, not the best-run organization, I would say. Uh, things could have been done differently, I'm sure. Do you have any weird, wacky stories about your time there? I mean, the statute of limitations, you can be the judge whether or not it's passed yet, but I know that there's got to be some wild stories about your time there. I have a lot of wild stories. So I, I think <laughs> to start, I'll start by saying I'm thankful for, for Victor Abica. And some people definitely. might say the complete opposite. You know, he, he I know he, he definitely hurt some people out of their money. Uh, but for me, I know he gave me that first opportunity. Without that, I really don't think I'd be where I am today. You know, had I not gotten that first NASCAR start, I probably wouldn't have tried to run any NASCAR races at all. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. Road America, but uh, Victor let me run Road America. You know, obviously I, I brought a little bit of sponsorship, but it wasn't much. I mean, it was like I was shocked how little it took to, to get in the Xfinity car. And then yeah. he brought me back for Phoenix and then he brought me back, back for Miami. So Phoenix right. was kind of my first race, um, but we'll start at Road America. I mean, I have a really crazy story from Road America. So my first race in NASCAR, I had no idea of the the performance gap from the big teams to the small teams. So I showed up Friday morning for practice thinking, you know, we'll go out and get as much practice laps as we can. You know, this is great. Well, I get there. The car's not even ready. The car's in pieces. They're piecing this car together in the oh, parking boy. lot. And because the car was so far back in points, it was just mm-hmm. basically in the center. Like it wasn't even behind a trailer. It was kind of all by itself. And it just looked like a, a really janky organization. And we're just kind of looking at the car, me and my dad and evaluating our options. You know, obviously we're going to miss some practice and just do what we can. You know, we're thankful yeah. to be there. And I go out and make a couple practice laps. I think it was first practice on Friday and the car was decent. I think we were sitting like 23rd, 24th in practice, which we were happy about. Really good, uh, but yeah. no, no, nobody on the team had really given me the lowdown and, and the rundown of, you know, these are used parts. These are used brakes. And I found out later that these weren't even road course brakes. These were like mile and a half brakes. They basically just pieced this car <laughs> together. And I found out, I mean, I did like two or three laps in a row. And I wasn't even pushing 100%. And I'm going into turn one. And I'm pumping my brake, pumping my brake. And all of a sudden, it just goes to the floor. And what happened was they were mile and a half front brakes. The brake bleeder screw was stripped. So they helicoiled it. And when they helicoiled it, that expanded at a different rate. And it loosened the bolt up. So I lost all fluid going towards the front brakes. So I had rear brakes. So when the pedal went to the floor, the, the front brakes weren't working. The rear brakes locked up. I spin. Luckily, I spun. That slowed the car down enough. And by the time I hit the gravel, I didn't hit the wall. Somehow I didn't hit the wall. And it, it was scary for me. I mean, at 165, 70 miles per hour going oh, yeah. to turn one, you lose brakes. 
you know, then I start questioning, does this team even know what they're doing? You know? <laughs> and and I, I'm hearing from the drivers telling me like, you gotta be careful driving for Victor Bica. So that was uh, that was practice one. So for practice two, I knew the car wasn't going to be ready. We, we just kind of all agreed. Let's just watch practice from the sidelines. You know, we'll get yeah. the car ready for practice for qualifying. So my dad and I are on our little mopeds riding around the track, watching practice too. All of a sudden my car goes by my car that I'm racing goes by on, on the track. track. I'm like, yes. I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, did they take me out of the seat because I did something wrong? So I'm freaking out. So we drive back up to the, to the pits. Well, it turns out Paige Decker, which is Natalie Decker's cousin, uh, was also racing. She was our teammate that week. She crashed in her first lap of practice one on earlier in the day, like before I even went out, she crashed okay. right away and she destroyed her car. And basically for her to be eligible to run the race or even to qualify, she Need needed to run one lap practice. Yeah. So I was like dumbfounded. Like I thought they were kicking me out of the seat. I thought they put some other road course ringer in. This is literally it, it like your out. first time at the NASCAR yeah. racetrack. It's, this is nuts. It, it was crazy. I mean, I didn't know what to expect. And then they, you know, I, I thought I was getting booted. Um, <laughs> so I already had like my sponsors on the, on the phone, you know, trying to tell them what's going on. You know, I might be getting kicked out. So I did, I thought I did something wrong. Well, yeah. obviously it comes to find out it wasn't my fault and they just were trying to get her a lap. So she did one very, very slow lap. I think she was like a minute off pace. Man. So, so that's Friday, Saturday comes around. We qualify. Actually we, we qualified Friday night. So this was all in one day. Uh, we qualified Friday night and I go out, did a flyer. Our goal was two laps. The first lap was good. I think we were like 22nd or 23rd. I go and making it one more run, one more lap. And I wasn't even pushing like 100%. Well, the brakes, same exact thing, same corner happened. Yep, I, I pedal goes to the floor and this time I did hit the wall. So unfortunately we had to start dead last. It wasn't an awful crash, but we definitely had to do some body work, um, yeah. suspension work. And they had told me that they had fixed the brakes. Well, obviously not because it happened again. Um, so we started dead last, I think within like two or three laps of the race, we already moved up to like the top 30 and then the car just died and they, um, they forgot to plug in the alternator wire to, they just forgot to plug it in. So we did. just drained the battery. We drained the battery and nobody had a spare battery. They wanted to lend us cause Victor, I guess, took so many parts that he never gave back. Nobody wanted to give us a spare part. So that was oh, my yeah. first race. Victor felt guilty. So he brought me back for Phoenix and Miami. And then fast forward to 2017, I showed up three separate times at the beginning of 2017 to Atlanta, Vegas, and Phoenix. And he, he, he basically told me, you, you run the second car if you come to the race. So I showed up on my own dime. And all three of those times, I didn't get to drive. Just the first one, the car wasn't even there. The second time, the car wasn't ready. The third time, the car was there. But BJ McLeod stopped me before practice. Like, just so you know, I would not get in that car. It's not safe. So I just, I didn't get in the car. So. There's a, there's a lot more to those stories, uh, but I know we have some time constraints, so I won't, but, um, at the end of the day, you know, Victor gave me my, my first shot. He, uh, he didn't comprehend what it took to be part of the sport. You know, I think yeah. a lot of people from the outside looking in think it's a pretty easy sport, even to just be an owner. Uh, but it's obviously not. Okay. I, I wish we had more time. Cause I got, I got a couple questions though. So, I mean, like you said, you know, you're, you're forever indebted to him for giving you a chance. Like you would not be where you are if it was not for him. But for a driver like you who is trying to break into the sport, NASCAR specifically, is told point blank, you come on your own dime, and I'm sure it wasn't that cheap, you know, you'll you'll race, you'll get your name out there, you'll be on TV, you'll get in front of sponsors, you'll get seat time. To be told that, you know, a gentleman's agreement, and then to basically just be lied to, as a person, first of all, and then separately from the race car driver aspect, 
at that moment, three separate times, what, what are you thinking? Like, what are your emotions? Are you saying this guy's full of crap? Like, wow, bad luck on my end, a bunch of different stuff. Cause that, that's gotta be tough. It was. So the first one was Atlanta motor speedway, which was the second race of the year. Um, my buddy and I actually drove down from Wisconsin cause we didn't have the money for a flight ticket, honestly. Uh, or we just wanted to save money. So I drove down, I think three quarters of the way down there, it was Thursday. I get a phone call from Victor basically saying your car, it wasn't ready. We couldn't bring it to the track. So we loaded the hauler with just the one car. Steven likes going to be driving it. Your car's not there. So I'm like, well, we're already this far. Let's at least go. You know, yeah. I knew at that time I was running, I was going to run some cup races for Rick Ware later in the year. So I figured let's just go hang out with Rick Ware, uh, hang out with the biker team. Uh, so while, while I was there, that's when Victor told me, well, you know, we made a mistake this time. We'll bring you to Vegas and you'll race. Well, I, uh, not, not bring me, but you know, that's you what fly I was to say, Vegas yeah. and you'll yeah. race, you'll race. So, so then my girlfriend and I flew to Vegas, um, on our own dime, bought, yep. bought the hotel. It was probably 15 or $2,500 expenses. And Jeez, I get there man. and they had so many parts. They were taking off the first car to put on the second car so I can make laps. Like they forgot the window net. They forgot the seat belts and they forgot all these got the parts. window net. Yes. A lot. They forgot. I mean, they're pulling parts off of Stephen Lake's car so I can make a lap. And cause at the time I had never oh, ran a lap Lord. at Vegas. So they get everything off Steven's car that we needed. I'm in the car with my helmet on, ready to go. We don't head up and the car wouldn't start. And there's like 15 minutes of practice left. And they're like, all right, abort, abort. We can't let Josh run. We need to get Steven out because Steven's their primary driver. He's the one that was bringing the money for the season. It wasn't much, but basically they took everything off my car. They just put back or they put on, put it back on Steven Lake's car and he made a lap. And yeah. then he, um, he, he made the race. I think there were only 43 cars or 40 cars at the time. He made the race. Ran a couple laps in the race, had a right front tire go down because I don't think they had the correct camera or correct setup. He he destroyed that car. And um, it turns out that that car that he destroyed, they pieced together in the parking lot of some casino, and that was the car they wanted me to race in Phoenix the next week. I didn't this know that. This is like a horror there. story, man. It, it, it really is. There's so many <laughs> bits and pieces of this story I'm leaving out too. So yeah. at the end of the day, after Vegas, Victor basically told me, he's like, you know, you fly to Vegas or fly to Phoenix next week. If something goes wrong, I'll, I'll reimburse you. I'll reimburse you for all your travel expenses. So I'm like, all right. I know is, where this, this is going. A win. This is a win. So I get there, and the car is ready. The car actually runs, but it was the car that Stephen Light destroyed at uh, Vegas. They didn't do any setup work. Basically, it was just not – I mean, it was going to cut another right front tire down. And BJ McLeod told me that. BJ McLeod, at the time, him and I hadn't really talked much. But he basically told me, he's like, dude, I wouldn't get this in the car, in this car, even just starting park. I wouldn't get in this car because you're going to make yourself look silly. So I went to the NASCAR officials after that. I'm like, just so you know, I don't feel comfortable driving this car. And Victor was a little bit pissed about that. Victor never reimbursed me. And the rest is history. I guess we haven't really talked much since. Uh, but there are so many pieces of that story that probably are being left out. And it was, uh, that, it was a crazy time. But at the same time, I went to Phoenix. Obviously, I didn't race. I watched the whole race with Roger Penske and Roger Penske wow. bought me an ice cream cone. So Roger Penske and I ate ice cream together and remind <laughs> me to send you the, the picture of it afterwards. Cause I have a selfie of me and Roger Penske eating. So at the end of the day, it wasn't all, uh, all lost. All wasn't lost that trip. Um, and wow. like I said, you know, I, I was able to run some cup races later in the year and ran a bunch with BJ too. And that kind of yeah. that, that talking to BJ, that trip kind of kicked off our relationship where obviously I've ran a bunch of races with BJ since. So, all wasn't lost from that, uh, but at the time, it was pretty devastating because I wasn't sure how many more opportunities I'd get that year, uh, but luckily, I got quite a few. 
Is it bad that my main takeaway from this whole ordeal is that Roger Penske is probably paid for more things for you than Victor Obica? No doubt. No doubt in my mind. Um, <laughs> but Roger's a cool guy. And like I said, that Bunch was of that ice was cream. That's awesome. Right yeah, it was. It was awesome. That's sweet. Well, man, we're, we got to talk online about some of these other stories. Cause I am, uh, okay. I'm loving this stuff, but man, I'm glad that you're in a better place now. Uh, I, I, I will say that and we will move on. So as you mentioned, you made some cup starts the following year with Rick Ware racing. Just curious because you, we see their operation now. They got four charters, but they're a backmarker team. And again, they, they get a bad reputation for something that I think is not really of their own doing. Going back to when you got hooked up with Rick Ware Racing in general, like how did that partnership begin? Did you seek them out? Did he seek you out? Take me back there. Yeah, so 2016, obviously, I ran Road America. I ran mm -hmm. Phoenix. I ran Miami. And at the end of 2016, people kind of started questioning who I was, you know, I've seen him in three races now, you know, does he want to do more NASCAR? So I had a couple of teams reach out to me, Carl Long reached out to me, BJ McLeod reached out to me, and then Cody Ware reached out to me. Cody Ware and I were friends on Facebook, and I knew he did a lot of sports car racing. Facebook time. is That's helping you with everything, Josh. Dude, it, it is. And I mean, even <laughs> fast forwarding, um, you know, to 2019, I, I sent Insurance King a Facebook message. And they came back and sponsored me. And now they're oh uh, one of the largest supporters of mine. So Facebook, without Facebook and social media, I really don't think I'd be where I That's was crazy. today. But anyways, um, yeah, it was like way early 2017, um, January. At the, end of, at the end of January 2017, uh, Cody Ware reached out to me on Facebook and said, hey, uh, my team, Rick, we're racing. We're graduating from the Xfinity Series. We're going cup racing full time. Uh, we have a couple races open, uh, one of them being Sonoma, a road course. If you, um, you know, if you're any interest and if you have any sponsorship, obviously let me know and we can put the deal together. So I talked to him, I talked to his dad for a while, and that was really just the start of this awesome relationship where I've ran cup races with him every year since 2017, 2018. Yeah. I only ran one cause I was full-time mm -hmm. in the Xfinity series. I ran a lot in 2019, a lot in 2020 and now full-time this year. So uh, that's all thanks to Cody Ware. Do you ever look back on this whole journey? Like NASCAR specifically, you, you had your first stock car start in NASCAR in 2016 you dealt with Victor Hobica. You, you ran full-time Xfinity for a year or two. Now you're full-time cup racing. And this has all been five years for somebody who, oh, by the way, before this had not run on a short track all but once or twice. And now you're full-time in the cup series like that. That progression is fast, A, but B, impressive, albeit in backmarker equipment. That, that shouldn't matter because the fact of the fact is you're here. And you were not anywhere close to being Cup Series ready, Cup Series approved, Cup Series caliber in 2015. And boom, you fast forward a handful of years and here you are. I, I agree. Sometimes I look back and like, I'm just shocked that it happened so quick. I'm shocked yeah. that, first of all, I'm shocked that NASCAR approved me for like Cup racing after just three Xfinity starts. Uh, but it was on a road course. So that, that obviously they like helped. what I they mean, saw. Um, and, and I tell people all the time, you know, people ask me why I don't have a short track background. Why, instead of going me out of racing, why didn't I just go to Slinger Speedway where I probably could have spent the same dollar amount per year. Yeah. And at the time I wanted to go road racing, you know, I wanted to go sports car racing. And I think had I gone that short track background, you know, that may have not set me apart. You know, there's so many short track racers and there's so many talented short track racers, but what I think set me apart and really helped me get in was my road course experience hmm. without having that road course experience. I don't think I would have got that first shot at road America which obviously led into so many more opportunities. It also led into my first cup start at uh, Sonoma. You know, I don't think that would have happened so fast. And I don't know if I'd be here where I am today uh, without my road racing background. So 
you know, I am thankful that I went the, the, the direction I did after go-karts. Um, cause like I said, if I did go short track racing, maybe I wouldn't be here, you know, maybe I'd only be still racing slinger or maybe I wouldn't be racing at all. You know, that's a grind, you know, every week running short track, spending your own money, um, working on your own equipment, which I love, I really enjoy, but it's a second job. So, you know, I, I don't know if I'd be where I am today had I not went the road course racing route. That's a great point. And one of my questions was going to be looking at your background and looking where you are now, do you, if, if you could do anything over, would you do anything differently? Maybe go the short track route to get into NASCAR quicker, but it sounds like you wouldn't change anything for the world because the route that you took to get here sets you apart. Yeah. And even some of the sponsors, I mean, way back in my early career, um, some of the sponsors I had for those first NASCAR starts, I formed those relationships off of coaching on the, on the sports car side of things. So like I said, some of them own businesses, you know, some of those clients had Porsches, Ferraris, they loved racing, you know, it was a write-off for them. They wanted to help me out. So it was a win-win, you know, had I gone the, uh, the short track route, I probably wouldn't have done private coaching. I probably wouldn't have made a living doing that. I probably wouldn't have built those relationships, uh, which eventually turned to some sponsorship dollars. So I don't think, uh, I don't think I'd be where I was today had I, uh, gone a different route. Interesting. Interesting. So let's talk about the private coaching aspect of things, right? That was how you made your living. But during that entire time, you said that you weren't able to race as much as you wanted to. But at the same time, what while you're doing this and this is your job, even though you're not racing necessarily, you're still around it. You're still developing relationships with, as you mentioned, like wealthy gentlemen, wealthy businessmen that are involved in racing somehow and probably had companies and businesses. So at this point, you have your eyes still on trying to do something within motorsports. Maybe it wasn't focused on NASCAR. It was probably still at that point sports car centric. But during this whole time when you could call it a down period, so to speak, you still had your eye on racing full time and getting out of the coaching role. Yeah, no, I obviously did. Um, but it was, it was just so tough. Like I said, even with um, the, the select handful of, of sports car races I did, Right. I wasn't making money off it. You know, there was no way, you know, my, my, uh, my sponsors or my, uh, gentlemen drivers, they would put the bill, but you know, I wouldn't tack on an extra couple thousand dollars so I can make money. I, you know, mm-hmm. I was just happy to be there. So, you know, I, at the time I was still racing Miatas. So when I raced, um, when I was racing Miatas, that was kind of when I was still doing my coaching thing. Um, luckily my dad and I kind of had, had an agreement for, for most of our amateur racing career. He definitely helped me put the bill. Uh, cause I just, I couldn't afford it on my own. So, you know, I was coaching, making whatever money I needed to get by, whether it was for my, out of my car or whatever. And the rest of it went into racing, but even with all that money I was making, which wasn't much, um, it wasn't enough to go me out of racing or whatever it was. So my dad helped me out a lot in there. And really, I, I only coached during the, um, during the season. I mean, obviously like the summer season and then during off season, I worked at a drywall distribution yard. So I drove forklifts. I went on delivery runs. I built mm. I mean, I, I basically supplied, helped supply drywall for houses, industrial buildings, um, and I did that. I, I worked full-time at a drywall distribution yard before I coached full-time for 10 years, and then I kind of started making more money, making more money doing coaching uh, to where I was able to kind of take the summers off from the drywall yard, and then in winter, I'd go back, I'd snowplow, do whatever I need to do. Um, so luckily, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a couple of years away from at the time I was a couple of years away from doing a full-time, you know, coaching. I couldn't do it full-time. I still need to do something in the winter. Obviously there's not much that happens yeah. up here in Wisconsin when it snows so much. So <laughs> I just kind of had to do whatever I could do to make by. So before racing was a full-time thing for you, you were plowing snow, delivering drywall and teaching rich businessmen how to race. That sounds like a pretty solid life for a Wisconsin <laughs> guy. I'd say, I don't it, know. It, it was busy for sure. I mean, yeah. I remember there were 12 or 13 hours 
some days at the uh, at the drywall yard and oh, then I'd go back and I'd work on the race car yeah. and then um I mean even snowing snow plowing I did that up until two or three years ago um hmm. or when I <clears throat> when I started making more money obviously racing and I was able to make a comfortable living I could retire my snowplow efforts, but it, even, you know, even up until 2016, 17, 18, um, you know, I, I obviously I've been racing NASCAR those years, but I didn't make, I haven't been making much money. And even at this point right now, you know, I still, uh, still try to pursue other endeavors and I guess you call it entrepreneur life. Speaking of snow, did I read that you actually race snowmobiles at some point and you want to race in a snowmobile? Yeah. So, I, I, I ride snowmobiles, like the actual snowmobiles you're thinking about, the handlebars. Uh-huh. Uh, but the snowmobile that you were talking about is called an Outlaw 600 sled. So it's basically like a um, like a midget chassis with an offset engine, offset track, and two front skis. But you actually sit in it and you drive. So wow. if you remember, Google Outlaw 600, and then they're basically, I mean, like I said, they're midgets with an offset track instead of the rear tires. And then instead of having front tires, they're two skis. So um it raced at Eagle River. Um, I got that ride actually because of the Deckers, uh, Paige oh, Deckers' dad. Wow. I'm looking up. this up right now. This thing is wild. They they were awesome. I mean, they had 600 cc snowmobile engines on there, which I think top speed at certain tracks are 120, 130 it miles. It literally per looks hour, like so. a snow midget. That's what it is. It, it it is, and it was awesome. So I ran that for three or four years in a row at the uh, the World Championship snowmobile derby up here in Eagle River, Wisconsin. That's awesome. And uh, we won 2019. So. That was awesome. We won 2019 that same week. I got lined up with RSS racing and then we went to Daytona. So that was just a whole cool, uh, cool time of my life. Wow. That's awesome. Okay. So you mentioned the Deckers, Natalie's from Eagle river, Derek Krause is from Stratford, Sam Mayer's from Franklin, Johnny Sauter's from Wisconsin, Matt Kenseth. What is it with Wisconsin race car drivers? Like you wouldn't think that the Midwest and Wisconsin is a hotbed for racing, but it clearly is like, in NASCAR specifically, the talent from the Midwest, Wisconsin specifically, is absolutely off the charts. What is it about you guys? There's so many short tracks up here, and with that, there's so many short track racers. And I mean, I can go. You're to not one Speedway, of them, and, I, and I'm not one of them. Honestly, <laughs> there's not many. Uh, there's not many road racers up here. You know, there's one or two from uh, Milwaukee area or just Wisconsin area. Yeah. Uh, but the short track racing scene up here is just—it's incredible. All the talented drivers up here. Um, I really feel I can go to Slinger Speedway and pick two or three of their top drivers uh, right now, which I would think would be Steve Apel, um, Luke Fenhouse, who just won SRX. the SRX race, yep. and then Alex Prunty, and they're all buddies of mine, but I really think you can take those three, and there's probably three or four, too, that I'm missing, uh, but I, I feel like you can take a lot of these guys, and they can go to NASCAR and be successful. Uh, just unfortunately, obviously, it takes sponsorship dollars and takes a lot mm-hmm. of behind-the-scenes hard work. Um, but there's so many talented drivers here in Wisconsin that race weekly, you know, even three or four times a week. Yeah. And because they're all racing against each other, you know, you got one talented driver racing against another talented driver that just creates uh, a good mix of talent and hard racing. And I think that's why there's so many drivers that come from Wisconsin that are talented. I mean, even, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, you see a lot of guys that will come up here to race um weekly too um and i think that's just because there's so much uh talent up here that people want to be up here yeah definitely so let's go back to nascar for a little bit because we've mentioned rickware racing they're one of the back marker teams they have a stranglehold on charters within the sport but i find it interesting to speak with their drivers because and any driver that's you know running in the back half of the garage it seems like from the outside it's a departure from everything a race car driver stands for 
A race car driver is supposed to go out and win at all costs. And for a driver like you with a team like yours, winning is not in the equation. Maybe, maybe a fluke circumstance, it could happen. We saw Justin Haley a couple of years ago. But you go into a race knowing that if you score a top 20 or a top 25, that's like a win. And I'm curious from a driver's perspective, what is it like going into races and race weekends and, and being with a team knowing that you know everything you've worked for to get to this point is win, 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 do well, develop relationships and just win because that'll get you to the top. Now you're technically at the top, but you're at the bottom of the top. You know what I mean? So it kind of like goes against everything that being a race car driver stands for. And I'm curious how you, na- how you navigate that. Yeah. So, you know, we're at the top, so it's impressive. You know, I think every driver in the cup series is very, very talented. Mm-hmm. And I treat NASCAR cup series almost like an IMSA race with multi-classes, you know, not like many that. people look at it that way, but I, I do treat it that way. I like and it. you hit the nail on the head. A win for us is a top 25 or a top 20, like a top 20. Like that's, we just won the Daytona 500. That's awesome. Big time. That's huge. A top 25 for us is a great day, especially when there's no attrition. Um, top 30, you know, that's a good day. Um, just if we finish, honestly, without any scratches in the car, it's a good day for us. Yeah. Um, you know, it's no secret. Yeah, we're we're 30th to 35th place cars with no attrition. You know, that's just how we're going to be. You know, some days maybe I'll be the fastest car. Maybe someday Cody Ware will be the fastest car. Um, so it's all, it's all in your mindset. Like coming into the race weekend, like you know you're not going to be fighting for the win. You know, so what is a win? You know, is a top 25 a win? So you set that goal for yourself. And if you get that, obviously that's a good day. And I think that most people inside the sport know that, you know, there's some fans that might not see it and might just see myself as a 35th or 30th right. place driver. Right. But I would hope that majority of fans see that. And I, I hope to, you know, whether it's from this interview or just from past interviews or just talking about it, you know, hopefully, hopefully we have opened up people's eyes that, you know, myself, James Davidson, my teammates, we can win races. You know, if, if we were given the same equipment as Joe Gibbs or Hendrick, I really feel we could win races, you know, maybe it would take a little bit more time because we're not acclimated to that stuff yet, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I do feel we could win races and what's holding us back right now is our equipment. And it's not that we want to be a 30th place team, you know, obviously it takes sponsorship dollars. And, you know, when you have fortune 500 companies, you know, FedEx ally, it's, it's hard to compete against them with small businesses like the boss, you know, they're Dallas based company or yeah. junction fuels, you know, they're not fortune 500 companies. They can't spend 10 or $20 million a piece each. Yeah. You know, there's small businesses that help us out. You know, if I need a set of tires, you know, here's the set of tires. But, you know, they're not able to write, you know, $10 million checks. And hopefully one day we can get to the point where, you know, we do have those eyeballs on us. And maybe they, you know, maybe we do attract to a, a big sponsor. But for now, you know, we're just kind of clawing our way up. And, you know, hopefully next year with the new car, uh, it makes us a little bit more competitive. And now we're fighting for, you know, maybe top 25s on average, you know, without attrition. You know, right now we're fighting, if there's no attrition, no wreck, we're fighting for top 30s. You know, maybe next year, hopefully it helps bring the gap a little bit closer. Now we're fighting for top yeah. 25s. Maybe that's the exposure we need to uh, to pick up some more sponsorship. And before you know it, we are fighting for top 20s. So it's all a mindset game. People ask me that all the time. You know, why don't I go back down to Xfinity? But even Xfinity is, with the budget I have, you know, it's not going to get me a ride with Junior Motorsports. It's not going to get me a winning winning ride every weekend. You know, maybe, like you said, yeah. Talladega, maybe a road course. Um, but, you know, you're still going to be, with the budget I have in Cup, still 15th place Xfinity car. And I'd rather be in cup, you know, I think for almost all drivers in NASCAR cups, the ultimate goal. And yeah. I get asked this all the time, you know, why don't you go back down to Xfinity? And even if I have a great season, you know, there's a lot of drivers who might be family owned teams in Xfinity series who are having great years or have had great years in the past. You know, they're still not getting phone calls from, from cup team owners. Exactly. And that's why I don't really want to 
take a step back to go to Xfinity. Yeah, for me, I think it would be more fun, honestly, racing for 15th, racing for top 10s. Mm-hmm. But the whole goal is you want to be in cup, you know? And I think if I take a step back, I'm definitely going to lose opportunities that I would in cup. So it's all a mindset. You know, I know I'll win for us the top 25, top 30. And honestly, when we finished 23rd at Road America, you know, some of it was strategy. There wasn't much attrition. You know, it wasn't like there yeah. were 13, 14 cars that crashed out. You guys are quick. A, a 23rd place for us place for us was that was a huge day and that felt like a win yeah yeah it definitely did i remember at martinsville too i think all four of you guys ran really really well um i think put all your college are all your cars in the top 30 or the top 25 that was yeah. a really banner day for you guys so h- how about your teammates you had james cody garrett um who am i forgetting um jj right. joey Right, JJ, there's everybody. Everybody's in a Rick Ware racing car. So how's your relationship with them? Because I know you guys obviously share setups, share notes, and sometimes you switch around car numbers and whatnot. So I'm sure that the camaraderie within your guys' team is pretty solid. Yeah, I think we all get along uh, really well. You know, myself, James, Cody, Garrett, we seem to be the four that are driving almost every weekend. Um, And I think it's important for us to have those relationships that are healthy because if they're not, you can't make progress when you're fighting each other. You know, we always are fighting each other. It's our four cars, Starcom, and sometimes BJ. BJ, I think, is a step ahead of us. Um, so we need to work together because we can't be wrecking each other for a 30th place finish. Because if, if we, you know, if we're 30th, first, and 32nd, it doesn't matter to Rick Ware because it doesn't matter if I finish 31st or Cody finished 31st. Um, we need to have that relationship alive because if it's not healthy, obviously, then we're going to be fighting each other even harder. We're going to be tearing up cars against each other. And then before you know it, that 31st, 32nd place finish went to 37th, 30th. It's happened before. It sucks for frosted points. It, it, it unfortunately has. But I think we've gotten a lot better as the season went on about it. Um, but I'd say our relationship is all really good. I mean, we bounce off each other a lot, just questions about different tracks. I mean, um, you know, maybe there's a track that James Davison's better than I am. And maybe there's a track that I'm better than him at. So, you know, we, we rely off each other pretty heavily. And even just looking back at my sim rig, you know, we had obviously the iRacing um, – on the Fox deal earlier this year, that was awesome. I mean, to have yeah. my teammates and I bounce a lot off of them because I think James and Garrett are uh, probably two of the better drivers on iRacing. Uh, but I, I'd say, you know, that helped brought us together as well. So let's talk about the season as a whole so far. As we mentioned, you're full-time in the 52 and you've run 22 of 22 races in 2021. Uh, and you're going to finish out the full year, right? That's the plan. Yeah, no, we are going to finish out the whole year. And this truly is kind of my first full-time season um, in, in NASCAR. I mean, in 2018, I was full-time for JP Motorsports and, you know, going back to the biker days, JP Motorsports was kind of a lot like a biker. Uh, but again, you know, they kind of gave me a shot when I made, maybe didn't have all the sponsorship dollars I needed. Um, but you know, I ran 30 of the 33 races back then. Um, we missed three races, unfortunately. Um, so I don't know if you count that as a full season. I would count as a full season because we attempted all of them. We attempted all of them, but this year we've legitimately ran all the races. So yeah, Started out at the biggest race of the season, Daytona 500, my first Daytona 500. That was awesome. We had a lot of Wisconsin partners on the car. It was just it was just an awesome thing because I watched that race, obviously, every year. I remember watching even just when Dale Sr. died. I mean, that yeah. was, you know, 20 years ago. So I've been watching for, you know, 20, 21 years, and I remember it. I remember almost every race. Uh, and it's something I never really thought that I would achieve. Even when I started racing NASCAR, um, 2016, 2017, I never saw myself being a full-time cup driver because I know – all the efforts and all the behind the scenes, what it takes. And it's, it's, there's so many pieces of the puzzle that have to add up. Um, so I'm just so thankful to be where I am today. Um, Daytona 500 was awesome. We had some, uh, some string of really bad luck, some bad lucks, just some lack of preparation on our end. 
um, at the beginning of the year, which kind of set us in a hole. I think we've fixed a lot of those things. And now we're kind of trying to claw out of the hole. Uh, we just passed a double zero in points. So that's cool. Um, nice. So right now we're just fo- focusing on finishing the season as strong as we can. And uh, we got two more road courses coming up, Watkins Glen and Indy. So I think, uh, I think we'll have some good points days there. And hopefully that helps us completely get out of the hole. Yeah. And in the playoffs, you got the Roval. You had your top 10 in Xfinity there a few years back as well. So got some good races on the horizon. Okay. So you passed the double zero, you passed Starcom. What, what class, if we're classifying NASCAR as IMSA, what class are you guys in? Cause I don't think it's the Daytona prototype by any means, but I'm curious as to what you think. We'd be in GT Daytona. So okay. there's four real classes. There's the, uh, Le Mans prototypes. There's the LMP three cars now, and then there's GT Le Mans. And then there's GTD, uh, yeah. GTD being the slowest of the cars. They're all still very talented drivers. There's some yep. very, very solid efforts, uh, but we're GTD We're we might be a, a second or two off pace, uh, but we're, we're running as hard as we can every lap. And, um, that's, that's what we definitely would be GTD. Yeah. Let's win the GTD class. I meant to ask too, at the start, like, how'd you get into racing? Who did you like when you were watching growing up? Were you a NASCAR guy? I mean, you mentioned formula one, but watching NASCAR being here in the States, did you have a favorite driver of sorts? Mine was Jeff Gordon, and I think I attribute that to his his colorful paint scheme. Rainbow Honestly, Warrior. as a kid, as a kid, you saw that and you wanted to play him in the NASCAR video games. Uh, yeah. But I started racing when I was four and a half. Uh, so my dad's always been a race fan. He's never raced professionally, uh, but he built a 1965 Mustang into a vintage car in 1995, and that's a year that's I was awesome. born. So I've been going to the racetrack ever since I was born. It wasn't much, you know, maybe three or four or five times a year, but we'd yeah. go to the racetrack and he saw that I loved his car. He saw that I loved racing, uh, whether it was just playing with my hot wheels or making cardboard race cars, uh, having fake racing helmets. He saw that I loved it. So I think he just bought me a cart in Christmas of 1999 uh, when I was four and a half and I just picked up at it and I, and I loved it. And I think one thing that's important too is him and I, I mean, we traveled, we never really had anybody prep our stuff. Like we always worked on our own stuff, even, even yeah. through Miatas, Mazda Miatas. And we really enjoyed ourselves. I mean, we, you know, he, he didn't push me to the point where I didn't want to be a race car driver. You know, I always wanted to do it. I see some kids now who are at the go-kart track because I have a shifter cart now. So I'm kind of going back to my roots and just running the shifter cart. I saw on week. Twitter, that looked fun. It, it is awesome. It's, it's a full body workout too. I mean, I forget how physically you're being jerked. Uh, yeah, they, they are. I mean, they're so physical. Uh, but I see some kids who are just with their families and their parents and their parents pushing them to the point where it just doesn't look fun. It, it looks like a job. And you know, when you're 10 or 11, you don't want to get pushed that hard. So yeah. my dad was always really good at, obviously we want to win races. We wanted to win races and we did win races, but if I didn't win a race, you know, he wasn't going to scold me. He wasn't going to hold me back from eating ice cream that night. So um, you know, looking back, I think some of the fondest memories I have were just with my dad uh, going to these races. And that's kind of what I miss right now. Um, yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. All right. A couple more things and I'll let you run. I could not let you go without mentioning our new mutual friend. When you were at Road America, one of my great friends who I work with here in the D.C. area interviewed you, Rachel Hopmeyer of NBC 26. Yep. So I had to give Rachel a shout out because she <laughs> knows both of us. So she's definitely listening right now. Hello, Rachel. Hi, Rachel. <laughs> Love that. That was a great interview, by the way. Well, yeah, it was. Yeah, that was uh, at Road America in front of Turn 5. Uh, yep. It was a beautiful day. So, yeah, that was awesome to, to see her. And I know she's a big NASCAR fan, too. So I think she had a lot of fun uh, being at the track that day. And hopefully we see her again at a racetrack soon. Yes, absolutely. So let's close by saying this. You're here in NASCAR now. 
You had sports cars. You wanted Formula One. You got NASCAR. It was a roundabout way, but you're here, and I, I think you're here to stay. So what are your short-term goals this season, maybe in the next few years? What are your long-term goals and aspirations? I assume that you want to be here for a while and eventually potentially contend for wins and championships. Yeah, I mean, going back, I never saw myself as a NASCAR driver. For one, I always thought it was just so far out of reach. I mean, honestly, at the time, you know, Dale Jr., Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson, these are all superstars. These are like, to me, they're like, just like movie actors. Like, they're so far beyond reach. And for me to be here, it's like mind-blowing. If you would have told me 15 or 10 years ago that I would be in the NASCAR Cup Series and I would have raced against – uh, Jimmy Johnson, Dale Earnhardt Jr., and all these all these cup drivers, I cool. would tell you, you are crazy. So, um, you know, I think that is one of the reasons why NASCAR was never on my agenda. Um, and much like Formula One, too, you know, I kind of knew it was out of reach. You know, when, it, when you start getting a little bit older, you knew it's out of reach. Um, so I think that's probably one reason that I never really thought of a, a NASCAR career. Um, but, yeah, we're here now, and I'm here to stay. You know, obviously, I'm not going to rule out some sports car races, but my whole focus is on NASCAR. I've had the opportunity to go back to sports car racing. I've turned it down because I don't want to take anything away from, for one, my sponsorship dollars. I want them all to go towards NASCAR. I want to be here for the next couple of years, for hopefully for the next 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, I want to make my living here and hopefully I can find success here. Uh, I think a short-term goal would be, you know, obviously next year I want to be full-time again. And it's, it's going to be so hard next year with this new car coming out. Yeah. Lots of pieces of the puzzle. Um, there's a lot of drivers who want to be in the cup series next year. So it's going to make the value go up a little bit. So maybe I need to find some more sponsorship dollars, but that's kind of what I'm working on today here in my office and just these next couple of weeks too. So hopefully next year I'm full-time in the cup series. Hopefully it helps bring the gap a little bit closer. Uh, we can race a little bit more competitively in three or four years from now, hopefully I'd be with the team, whether it's my team right now uh, or a different team that can fight for wins. You know, obviously right now a win for us, like I said, is the top 25, top 20. Well, hopefully each year that kind of keeps going down, you know, hopefully next year it's top 20s. Hopefully the year after that, you know, I'm with a team that can fight for top 20s constantly every Steady week. Steady progression. Uh, yes. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, even if I am where I am today um, in, in five years from now, I'm just happy to be driving a race car full time. And hopefully I can make a name for myself that one day I can kind of do what Jimmy Johnson did and, and take a step back and be able to go run some of these indie car races, be able to go run some sports car races. There are still sports car races on my bucket list, but I know that with a full-time NASCAR career, I'm not going to be able to hit them this year next mm -hmm. year you know but maybe one day you know maybe i race nascar up until i'm 35 40 and then i want to go pursue sports car races and uh you know there's there's a lot of business ventures too that come out of sports car or from nascar racing too so um i want to be involved in the sport for for a long time whether it's team owner whether it's uh you know running a team um whether it's some business aspect of it um i, I really want to be here for a while the man with a plan i like it you got it all scienced out okay i lied last 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 thing bucks okay. and six Bucks and six. Sure. I, I did watch the last game. Actually. I'm not a huge fall sports fan. Um, <laughs> there's nothing uh, I I'm not saying I don't like them. I just don't watch them very I got much, you. Uh, but I watched the last couple of games and that last game, you know, I'm not a big basketball watching fan, but I felt like that was a great game. They were back and forth, back and forth, back got and the forth. Wisconsin pride too. It was, it was awesome. And I saw that they had a huge turnout, um, at deer camp. Oh my so, God. So uh, yeah, that was awesome. Okay. And it was awesome for our, for our, um, for our, yeah, for our whole state too. I mean, I feel like there's been so many wins here with NASCAR being here with the SRX yeah. series here. And then with that happening, uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. And Aaron Rodgers is apparently going to go back to the Packers now. So it's a great day all around to be a Wisconsinite. <laughs> yep. I, I saw that on Twitter. 
Yeah. All right. I actually asked Sam Mayer this, and Derek Krause always botches it. So this is the last, last, last question. Can okay. you pronounce Giannis's last name, the star player for the Bucks? No. Can you try? I I, I don't even want to try. Come on, give me give me one. I need one. I don't even know his full last name because it's so. I just know Giannis. That's all I know. Answer come. Plants. I, I can't. Yeah, that was better I, than that, that was better than Derek Krause. It's Antetokounmpo. So you you are on the right track. Antetokounmpo. Yeah, yeah. On, on, yeah, that's that's tough. I'm not gonna remember that. I just tell him Giannis. I call him Giannis, or just the Greek freak. That's why he has a the nickname. The Greek freak. His yeah. Name is too hard. Yeah. Yeah. That's like Matthew Benedetto. Yeah. It's it's I similar. Mean, at least you got that one right. Yeah. Balicki's not easy either. I've heard it all different forms. I've heard some some weird sayings. I've heard just not even anything near correct. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you got it. You got it. It seems like yeah. everybody now has gotten the hang of it, so that's good. Yeah. Well, man, I really, really appreciate your time today. I'll let you get back to uh, slinging some deals here for next year, 2022, already coming on the horizon. But uh, this is being taped during the Olympic break for everybody listening. So Josh is taking some time out of his busy schedule when he has time off to speak with me so man i appreciate you uh giving me some time telling your story i i like learning a little bit more about you and looking forward to seeing you at the track i'll be at watkins Glen, so i'll be sure to say hello awesome well we'll see you there rook course so hopefully we can have a good run there but yeah thank you guys i appreciate it and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon and we're back big thank you to josh and everybody at rickware racing for helping coordinate that conversation and to josh for being so flexible with his time and so grateful with his time as well. We thank you for that. And I'm glad I got to learn a little bit more about you. And I know the fans are glad as well. Best of luck this weekend on Watkins Glen, my friend. Let's close out the show with some lug nuts of the week. Cue that funky music, white boy. Late last week, Tommy Joe Martins confirmed that he will not be running full-time in the 44 car for Martins Motorsports next season. Going to be a multiple driver rotating panel for next year. He's kind of stepping back and going into the more team ownership role. Ellen Stalkup has been named the vice president of marketing at Texas Motor Speedway. Speaking of Texas, NASCAR also completed a next-gen test there, but Denny Hamlin kind of insinuated that Drew Herring actually wrecked the car, so stay tuned on that. Stillhouse Spirits has been named the official bourbon of Daytona International Speedway in the Daytona 500. Justin Mark says he's interested in having Trackhouse Racing Run the Indianapolis 500. That'd be pretty interesting. We know that they like to break the mold. We'll see if they do that and then some. Big congratulations to Bubba Wallace and his girlfriend, now fiance, Amanda Carter. They announced their engagement on social media this past week. Congratulations to the new couple. Kyle Larson won the Prairie Dirt Classic in a dirt late model. All the kid does is win. Really, really just does not stop. Runnings is sponsoring Kyle Weatherman at Watkins Glen this weekend. MBM Motorsports has partnered with Flor de Lee Motorsports for the 66 Camaro in the Xfinity Series for this weekend. Adam Stern of the Sports Business Journal, who I'd like to have on soon, by the way, announced on Twitter that NASCAR is looking at moving the car numbers forward instead of backwards. So we'll see if that comes to fruition in the next week or so. Eric Jones is driving for Jordan Anderson Racing in the Xfinity Series this weekend at Watkins Glen. Screwball Peanut Butter Whiskey. They're sponsoring the Xfinity Series race at the Glen. E1 Motorsports is sponsoring Spencer Boyd at the Glen. Phoenix Raceway has renamed their infield the Fan Shield Infield Experience. It's a mouthful. Andy Lally's driving for BJ McLeod Motorsports at Indianapolis. Taylor Gray, who got into a little bit of hot water after wrecking Daniel Dye at Winchester, 
He's making his truck debut this weekend at Watkins Glen. Go Bowling is sponsoring Eric Amarola for this weekend, per usual. Kyle Tilley's going to run Cup and Xfinity at Watkins Glen and Indianapolis with Live Fast Motorsports and BJ McLeod Motorsports. Will Rogers is making his truck series debut at the Glen for Cram Racing Enterprises in the 41 car. Some silly season news, Ross Chastain is going over to Trackhouse Racing next season. Going to drive the number one Chevrolet, so kind of staying in the house at CGR in a way, but he does have a ride for next season. Dead On Tools announced a multi-race partnership with Brett Moffitt and Our Motorsports. And last but not least, NASCAR has reinstated their indoor mask wearing policy for Watkins Glen moving forward as the Delta variant kind of starts to surge a little bit. So unfortunate news there, but probably the best thing to do. Everybody get vaccinated and wear your mask, please. That'll wrap things up for episode 119 of Victory Lane 2.0. If you guys like what you heard here today, do me a favor. Leave a rating, a review, subscribe to the podcast. We're available wherever you get your pods. iTunes, Spotify, Google, SoundCloud. And again, if we're not available where you get yours, drop me a line. We'll try to rectify that issue for you. Until next week when we have another guest on from the world of NASCAR, I can actually tell you who it is. Joe Graff Jr., you might be thinking, oh, is, isn't he that guy that DNQ'd the RCR car at Michigan? Yes, he is, and yes, we talked about it. We also talked about him getting in a fight with Greg Galding at Richmond, and no pun intended, but he pulled no punches. Stay tuned for that. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Josh Balicki, for coming on. Enjoy Watkins Glen this weekend. Follow along with myself on Twitter at frontstretch.com as well for all my coverage from the racetrack this weekend. Until then, stay safe, get vaccinated, wear your mask if you're going inside at Watkins Glen, and I'll catch you on the flip side.